All right. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to come together freely like this, for us to be able to attend on your word. Uh, what a privilege. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds that understand and hearts that believe that what your word says, we can trust you for the reality of it in our life. Lord, we thank you that you do all things well. Thank you that your hand has been on Deb. Uh, thank you for the treatment that she's received so far and, and just the incredible uh, strength and, and the amount of opportunity you've given her to minister even in the time of her weakness. But Lord, we again ask you for healing. We ask you that you give the doctors wisdom. We pray for this upcoming round of treatment that, Lord, if it be your will, let it be a cure for Deb. Uh, Lord, we trust you that, God, you're going to continue to use Deb mightily. And so we pray for your blessing over this whole transition that, Lord, we would all say that you do all things well and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Last time we drilled down on verse 15, our need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. How do we do that? Well, we need to labor. We need to be workmen in the Word. And verse 15 is critical because there's always somebody working to confuse God's people. Verse 17, we saw it was teaching that was wrought in the church. Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, here's how they taught, concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection has passed already and overthrow the faith of some. So in verses 14 through 18, we saw the need to, the urgent need to stick with the fundamentals of the faith. We have to, we have to stay on track in terms of what the Bible teaches. So Paul gave Timothy the job of a workman in the Word, and the first task in verse 14 was to put God's people in remembrance. Remembrance of what? What kind of things? Things like verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And we saw that we have to remember that we have the right death. I mean, death is inevitable, so we need to make sure we're in the right death. If it's appointed unto man once to die, I want to have a good death, Amen you got to be in the right death. So you, have, you, you do that, right? You make sure you're in the right death. Why? Verse 11 says, it's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, with Christ, we shall also live with Him. Okay, that's the right death, being dead with Christ. If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, if Jesus lives in your heart, then you have great life insurance. I mean, you can literally die in the flesh, and you will rise again. Man, praise the Lord. Anybody saved this morning? Do you know you have eternal life? I don't know. That's something worth getting excited about. Okay, so just as surely as Christ died and rose from the grave to eternal life, you will too surely rise as well. Your heart can stop beating, but one day, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ will rise, <laughs> and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What an incredible promise. And so, you know, Paul's telling Timothy to remind people of these facts. In other words, don't let anyone ever tell you different. Why do we need to worry about that? Well, because there's people out there, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, people who are pains. Their teaching rots the faith of the church. Paul calls their teaching a canker, an ulcer, gangrene in verse 7. The word eats like doth a canker. It rots the flesh. 
Concerning the truth, these false teachers have erred. They said the resurrection has passed already, and it ends up destroying. It ends up overthrowing the faith of some. They're teaching people that the resurrection was passed already, and people believe the lie, and since they thought they missed the resurrection, well, might as well live for myself. Why live the Christian life? Hymenaeus and Philetus' problem was they erred concerning the truth. They weren't workmen that rightly divided the word of truth. They weren't workmen that needed to not be ashamed. They didn't study their Bible properly, and so they were false teachers. Now, some of you this morning concerning the faith, you're just relying on what you've heard. You've never studied it out for yourself. You've never been a workman in the word. You don't know God's word for yourself, and so when false teaching is aimed at you, you are prime, you are vulnerable to its attack. The, the, where we've left it so far in our study is here. Are you a workman? Are you a student of the Word of God? Are you, do you have a plan? Are you on a path where you are laboring to learn the Word of God for yourself, where you're learning how to use it in the lives of people? That brings us to verse 19 and our need to be fit. We need to be a fit or a proper vessel. Vessels carry things. Check this out. Okay. In spite of all the false teaching and false doctrine that's aimed at God's people, God's the same. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart." Okay, let's talk about verse 19. Let's talk about our sure foundation. Nevertheless, the foundation of God, watch this, standeth sure. See, God's will, right? God's plans, God's will will not be thwarted. No devil, no demons, no false teaching, no false teachers can stop God's plan based upon the foundation that He's placed in our lives. When God lays a foundation, it is settled, it is sure. When God lays a foundation, it isn't going anywhere. Check this out, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then look at the response to that that is proper. He that believeth shall not make haste. Okay, what foundation is it that the Lord lays that's a sure foundation, a foundation that we can believe on? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that the work of our life should build on this sure foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation isn't a what, it's a who. Everybody see that? The foundation isn't just a thing, it's a person, it's the King of kings and the Lord, it's Jesus Himself. Jesus Christ, that's the answer. He is a very firm foundation. The Bible calls Him our rock, the rock of our salvation. Man, you're standing on sure ground if you're on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
all of this, right, all of this has its culmination and its celebration in Psalms 118, verses 22 and 23. Check this out, Psalms 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Man, what a verse. Okay, you'll find out. This is a massive verse in your Bible. The Bible keeps running back to it. The stone that the religious rulers refused. Well, that's actually what everything's built upon. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus quotes this verse several times in the Gospels. I gave you the cross-references. They're there in your notes. Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, talking about Himself. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 4. Check out verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, he says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. He's speaking to the religious rulers that rejected Christ. They don't want Christ preached. They're giving him flack for it, and so he's just telling them what's what. Jesus, this guy that you're upset about, he's the stone that you rejected, which has become the head of the corner. Now watch this. What he's saying here is it's marvelous in our eyes. Look at verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That foundation of Jesus Christ, when you see Him for what and who He is, it's marvelous in your eyes. You can believe on Him and not make haste. You can believe on Him and have salvation. He quotes it again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which did believe, He, Jesus, is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So to us, He is precious. We see Him for the foundation that He is in our life. He's precious to us. This is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is our cornerstone. Look at verse, just skip on down to 1 Peter 2 verse 8, and the stone of stumbling. Okay, this stone that's precious to us is called a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, unto, whereunto also they were appointed. But to us, he's marvelous in our eyes. Look at verse, eight, or verse 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Oh, that we are now part of God's building, God's household, because we are built on the person of Christ Himself. What an honor, what a privilege. Yesterday, I was completely cut off from God. I had no hope, I had no future, but man, one day I found a foundation. I found the rock of my salvation, and it changed everything. Before, I was just slipping and sliding through life, there was no certainty, there was no known destination, but once I have Christ, everything just snaps into focus. God is my Father, I am part of His household. I'm built upon the rock that He established. Before I wasn't a people, but now I get to be a people of God. Before I didn't have mercy, but now I've obtained mercy. Man, if you've got Christ in your life, you are enjoying the mercy of God. You know you're a sinner. You know your sin separates you from God. You know the wages of sin is death. You know this. Even the most biblically ignorant person knows that they are, what is in their heart is wickedness. 
that they don't always do what's right. They don't always know what is right. They don't always act right. It's sin. It's missing the mark. God help us. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's no hope, there's no mercy, there's no salvation. The wages of sin is death, and death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. But God so loved the world because God wasn't willing that any would perish. He sent His Son to be the rock of our salvation. Man, praise the Lord. We now enjoy the mercy of God because we're in Christ. Now, according to 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, this foundation of Christ in our life, this foundation has a seal. Uh, But we find out it's a two-sided seal. Two-sided is your next blank. It's a two-sided seal. On the one side of this seal is the Lord knoweth them that are His. I mean, hello, somebody. If you belong to God, He knows who you are. He sees you. He knows you by name. He He knoweth them that are His. And that's a great relief to the child of God. You won't, you know now, you won't be passed over, you won't be forgotten, you won't be left behind, you won't be neglected because you belong to God. You are His and He is yours. What an incredible thing biblically to be able to say, God, I am yours and you are mine. I will not be forgotten. Lord, you know me. If you belong to God, He knows you. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You find someone that calls themselves a sheep. They're walking around all the time. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Bless God. Bless God. But they're not actually following His Word. That's probably a goat in disguise. My sheep follow me. They follow me. Verse 27, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They're sealed. They've got a two-sided seal in their life. Nobody can take them away from me. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so how does God know you? Well, what is the foundation of your life? Is it Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you have new life in Christ? If not, then God does not know you. One day, He will be forced to tell you to depart from Him. You curse it into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, hell wasn't made for man. God never intended that anybody of Adam's race should ever go to hell. But we can follow. He gives us a free will. We can follow the devil straight to perdition. Matthew 7, 22, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? <laughs> Bless God. Praise God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And in thy name have cast out devils, just go through all the motions of being a good Christian. In thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If you're not on the foundation of Jesus Christ, God does not know you. I mean, intellectually, He knows you, but you're not in relationship with Him. He does not know you. You're not His, and He is not yours. Make sure you're on a firm foundation. Make sure that you are believing on Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how He knows you. It's by the seal itself. How do you know you have a good orange? There'll be a little stamp on it. It says, sun-kissed. You see that seal? You see that stamp on that orange? You know, that's a good orange. Sun shines 360 days a year out there, you know, or 350 days a year out there. That's, that, that, that's, that's a good orange. 
You know it by the seal. Well, has God marked you? Has he marked you? Has he labeled you? Has he sealed you as his, as his property, as his family, as his precious possession? Are you sealed? Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. God's people are marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit that indwells their life. We're sealed by the Spirit Himself. I gave you another handout this morning. Uh, it's in your notes and it's online uh, in, the, in the YouTube link. You can, get, you can get that digitally as well. There are 33 things. Actually, you can make a case for there being a whole lot more than 33, but these are the big ones, okay? 33 things that happen immediately at the moment that you believe on Christ as your Lord and Savior. That moment where you recognized your sin was exceedingly sinful and that it separated you from God and you saw the gospel for what it was, what it is, the way of salvation, and you confessed your sin and you called on Christ for forgiveness, mercy, and salvation. You called on Christ to enter, right, to indwell your heart and life and to give you eternal life. He did it. He didn't just do that, but He did 32 other things. Okay, that's right there for you in your outline. You can study that out on your own. But besides the fact that you were saved from your sin, you were also made part of God's family. You received eternal life and eternal, eternal inheritance. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But you also received God's Holy Spirit at the moment of belief. He is the seal. He is your guide in this Christian life. It was through the conviction, even before you were saved, it was through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you saw that you were a sinner. And it's through the, on, right, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in dwelling your life that you become convicted over sin when it turns up in your life. You understand God's Word through the teaching, the insight that comes from the Holy Spirit, and you fulfill God's mission for your life through the leading of the Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to the second side of this seal of the foundation of God. On the one side, God knows those that are His, but then verse 19 continues. Here's the other side of the seal. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So get this down in your notes. If you claim Christianity, then you will depart from iniquity. You will flee sin. If you're truly sealed by God's Holy Spirit, then when sin shows up in your life, you'll have remorse over it. You, like Job in, old, in, in the Old Testament, you will eschew evil. You'll avoid it. You don't want wickedness. You don't want sin to be present in your life. Romans 12, 9 says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. See, when you get saved, you now have a built-in hatred, a, a, a built-in disdain for sin, for the devil, for worldly pursuit of sin. The things that you used to love, you... You don't love them anymore. It's because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old creature kind of enjoyed its life in sin. That old creature, he was a filthy animal, wasn't he? He didn't mind the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But you become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So now when you're born again, now you're a child of God, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, you don't love sin anymore. You love righteousness. 
If you love sin and not righteousness, I want to invite you to examine your soul this morning. Is it on the rock of, of, of salvation? Is it sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise? Now, don't get me wrong. Even for believers, sin can be fun. And that's usually why people sin, because they want to. It's why so many people fall into its trap. But get this down in your notes. The Christian understands that the pleasure of sin is just for a season. It's just in that moment, and then all that comes after it is sorrow, loss, and regret. Hebrews 11.25. The Christian understands that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. That's why the Christian hates sin. They hate it. They hate it in their life. They hate it when it shows up in their heart. I know that there are many Christians that claim that they love God that are living in a life of unrepentant sin. Maybe, maybe I just described one of you here today, a Christian that wallows in sin. I mean, come on, something's wrong. A Christian that has no remorse, no conviction over sin, they're a Christian in name only. They're not on the rock of salvation. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They're not saved. Well, I said I was saved. It uh, doesn't matter what you said. It matters what God said. And are you in submission to His Word? Are you saved? Are you born again? Has the Word of God and the Spirit of God borne witness to you that you're a child of God? If not, then nothing else in your life matters. The only thing that matters is that you find Christ, that you believe on the Lord Jesus. Romans 6 verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let the whole church say, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's not who we are anymore. If we're saved, we're dead to sin. Now, the Bible doesn't say that sin is dead. Do you notice the difference? The Bible doesn't say sin is dead. We're the ones that are dead. We're dead in Christ. Sin's the taskmaster that we used to have to serve. We used to, we, we, we were compelled to serve sin. But now we're dead to sin and alive unto God. Now sin can no longer command us. It can't make us do anything. Because you, in the flesh, you're a corpse. Dead men can't do anything, right? Are you dead in Christ and alive in Christ? Now, this doesn't mean that you go through life sinless. You know, I'm not saying that Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, live sinless lives. Uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, my spirit is joined to the Lord. That's pretty perfect. My soul is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty perfect. But in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. <laughs> There's a tactical reality that says I'm, right now I'm just two-thirds saved. Uh, this body, whenever I come to the end of my life, this body will find corruption. Why? Because it's a, it's a body of sin. It's the sins of my flesh that condemn it. But, oh man, when Christ comes for His bride, when Christ comes for the, for, for the church, this corruptible body puts on incorruption, this mortal body puts on immortality, uh, my flesh is going to get saved too. And it's, go, it's going to go from a carnal nature to a spiritual nature. And praise the Lord. Then I'll be truly manifest as the Son of God. That's incredible. Here's the deal. 
everyone has in their flesh, they have a sin nature. And the things that you know you're not supposed to do, every time you turn around, you'll catch yourself in the middle of some mess. Paul himself said in Romans chapter 7, oh, wretched man that I am. He says that present tense, writing, God using him to give us our New Testament. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. My spirit's joined to the Lord. My soul is sealed. I mean, in terms of who I am intrinsically, I'm with God. No doubt about it. But with flesh, the law of sin. Every time I turn around, I catch my flesh serving the law of sin. And I'm not saying that if you sin, then you're not saved. That's not the case. But I see it all the time. There are people who claim to be Christians, but pursue sin with, ab- with abandon, with the passion of a lost man, with no conviction, no remorse. You cannot live unto sin if you're saved. Every time you try, you stall out because the Spirit is grieved. You come under conviction and you can't continue. Why? Because after you're saved, you've got new purpose in life. Your desire is now to be used of Christ. Your desire now isn't to live your life unto yourself, pursuing the pleasure of sin. No, your desire is to be profitable for the Lord, for Christ to be pleased, oh, to be used of God. Look at verse 20. Paul gives this illustration. He says, but in a great house… There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So the house of God is a great house in verse 20. You can't miss that. It's a great house because He is a great God and He has a great family. Come and go with me to my Father's house. Come and go with me to my Father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's got a big, big yard where we can play football. (laughs) It's a big, big house. It's my Father's house. Audio Adrenaline, just check it out. It's a great song. Okay, so. (laughs) In this house, this big, big house, there are a lot of vessels. And notice that there are four different types of vessels, gold, silver, wood, and earth. Four different types of vessels. So get this down in your notes. You're a vessel. I'm not calling you names. I'm, I'm making the illustration plain. You are the vessel. Every believer is a vessel for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says, we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is what's in our life, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, God has created you to carry good news to a lost and dying world. He's made you a vessel to carry the gospel. Just like a vessel carries water, you carry good news to a lost and dying world. Now notice, here's the part that's encouraging to me. Notice that there's four different types of containers and they're not equal. They're not equal. What do we have here? We've got gold, silver, wood, and earth. Those are not equal. Well, so also Christians. All Christians are different. God didn't make us all the same. Some of us came 
with a full set of fully functioning brains. Some of us only got half a set. Some are tall, some are short, some are skinny, some are fat, some are handsome, some are ugly. It's just a really big palette, all kinds of different vessels. But I want you to notice, you may be saying like, I feel kind of like an earthen vessel. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too comely. I don't look like that gold vessel over there. Okay, don't worry about that. Because get, get this down in your notes. God places, right, the value that God places on the vessel is not determined by your physical characteristics. Silver, gold, wood, or earth. That's not what determines the value in God's eyes. See, here's the key. Your value as a, vessel is as a vessel is determined by what you carry in life. What is the vessel of your life carrying? What's your function in God's mission? Notice that God goes on to break these vessels down into two categories. Number one, vessels of honor. Number two, vessels of dishonor. Are you a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? What you know by what your life carries. If you're a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. At my house and at yours, you have vessels of honor and you have vessels of dishonor. We have vessels that we use to cook and to serve our meals and to drink our, our water, right? Those are vessels of honor. And they can be plastic, they can be stainless steel, they can be gold, silver, wood, or earthen. Vessels of honor. But at your house, you also have a toilet. And what does your toilet carry? Well, it carries something of no value whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you're completely done with it. You don't want it in your life, and so you put it in the vessel of dishonor. So turn to your neighbor and ask him, which are you? What kind of vessel are you? Are you a dinner plate or a toilet? I mean, that's the question. So. Come back to me. Come back to me. Don't, let's not get in any fights. Okay. So, so don't miss the point that Paul's making here. God doesn't use all Christians the same way. Some believers he uses as vessels of honor, and they're carrying good things for good reasons. Others, because they're not carrying the right things, all right, fine, he'll still get glory. But the proof will be in the fact that you are revealed to be a vessel of dishonor. Some he uses in the mission, others he makes into an example for us to flee from. He uses vessels unto honor, whether they're made of wood, wood, earth, gold, or silver. Right? He'll use any kind of vessel just so long as it's a vessel unto honor. God doesn't use dirty vessels unto honor. He uses them unto dishonor. Our Lord would rather use a clean earthen vessel than a fine golden dirty vessel. Do you see the difference? You could be a clay pitcher and be more valuable than a golden toilet because of what you carry. I'm just a plain ordinary dude, but if I'm clean, right, this earthen, this earthen vessel, God can use me in His mission in an honorable way. So that's the question on the floor this morning, is do you want to be an honorable vessel, a vessel of honor? Do you want to be meat? Do you want to be useful for the master to use? Verse 21 holds the key, you must purge yourself. 
Look at what it says. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21 says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, the life of carrying dishonorable cargo, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, a meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. If I want to be a vessel of honor, I have to purge myself. In other words, I got to get the poop out of my life. Every morning, I wake up, I make a cup of coffee, I take one to maximum 10 sips, and then I go purge myself. That's my morning routine. Coffee is magic. Sometimes just the smell will get me going. I used to have, it, it washed off. Some of these coffee cups, they don't make them right. I had this coffee cup, I think it was my wife's coffee cup. It says, coffee makes me poop, right there on the, on the, on the side of the coffee cup. I drink coffee and then I go purge myself. Man, I flush. I don't just hang on to it. I don't keep that around for future use or admiration or bragging rights. I don't do, I flush it, man. I don't need that in my life. Flush, man, flush. Then you can be meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Check out Titus chapter 2, verse 13. We are to be looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of our great God, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, watch this now, that he might sanctify us as vessels meet for his use, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Flush. Flush that out of your life and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. For example, here's why this is so applicable today. Look at verse 22. Here's an area that all of us can flush. Verse 22 says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So get rid of the one thing and pursue the other thing. Flee also youthful lusts. Flush that. That's, that's a path of dishonor. Don't carry that in this life. Don't carry useful, youthful lusts to their logical conclusion. That's not useful for the Lord. That makes you, that reveals you as a, as a vessel of dishonor. Are you a youth? Well, then verse 22 is for you. Are you feeling youthful? Well, then verse 22 is for you. You can be 79 years old and have youthful lusts. Flee it. Then that's an area, right? If you don't flee it, well, then you're not going to get victory in it. So you have to flush it out of your life. You have to flee it. You don't put yourself in those situations that bring you to a place of temptation. You flush and then you follow what? You remove dishonor and then you follow after honor, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Look at verse 23. You see the same principle again in the rest of this chapter. But foolish and, unle un uh, and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives, strives, they're carrying as vessels of dishonor, junk into the church. Flush that, man. I mean, some of you, bro, a courtesy flush, please. Does everybody know what courtesy flush is? You're killing me. Flush the toilet. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. So, well, then what do I do? Well, I make myself meet for the master's use. 
Verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him in his will. So don't get into arguments with people that are of no profit. Help them recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Stop being a vessel of dishonor. Be a vessel of honor. Stop carrying trash and carry the Word of God. Let the Word of God be manifest in your life. Does everybody see this this morning? Be useful for Jesus. That's why you're still here on earth. That's why you're still breathing. Be useful for Him. Let Him use you as a vessel of honor in the lives of people. Some of you this morning need to give your life a flush. There's just junk in your life that you got to stop carrying. you got to stop pursuing it. And you need to surrender your life to Christ. Because what you're doing, okay, if you keep going the way that you're going, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And outside of Christ, your ultimate destiny will be an eternity, a, a, a forever separate from God in hell. God loves you. He's not willing that you perish. But it's going to take you being broken over your sin. It's going to take you being broken over the sin that's separate. You got to, in repentance of your sin, call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Some of you, you're believers in Jesus Christ, and you did receive Christ into your life, but somehow you were ensnared. And now instead of being a vessel of honor, you're pursuing the pleasure of sin. It's just for a season, and you know it. The wages of sin is always death death of relationships, death of fruitfulness, death of spiritual vitality, can't continue. Some need to repent of sin this morning. They need to give their life. You need to give your life a flush. We'll talk about this more next time. Some of you, you're endeavoring, you're trusting the Lord to be a vessel of honor. And I want to encourage you to keep coming. Keep, stay engaged with us because we're, this is a church that exists to equip every member to be, right, to be equipped, to be outfitted, to be enabled, to be a vessel of honor, to carry the Word of God to the souls of men. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you and ask that, Lord, that I believe it because your word says it. You're always at work in the lives of your people. Lord, let it be manifest today that you're at work in the lives of your people. And for everyone that is pursuing life, they're functioning as a vessel of dishonor. I pray that today, today would be the end of that, that they'd be done with the excuses, the, the stupid reasons for why they can't submit their lives to Christ, and that they'd move forward in faith as a vessel of honor. Lord, for those that do not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I'm praying according to your word that today is the day of salvation. Would you bind the enemy and the lies and the reasons, all the excuses that he gives people for why they can wait, why they can put off surrendering their life to Christ. Lord, pour out your spirit and conviction. Show them the urgent need of Christ as Lord and Savior, as the rock of their salvation. And it's in His name that I pray, amen.